Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. Today, I'm going to be tackling the topic of co-parenting like a pro and with the help of some guests, Mary and Ashley Sen. So before I invite them to start chatting, I'm going to let you know a bit about Ashley and Mary. Mary and Ashley have been married for just over seven years. They live in Edmonds, Washington and share two boys, Calvin, who is 12, and Sawyer, who is nine. Years of friendship and couplehood have led them to begin their own podcast, Your Friends, Ash and Mare. They have honest and mostly hysterical conversations about life, marriage, parenthood, and making it through this wild life together. The highlight of their show is when Ash and Mare talk to their incredible friends from every facet of their life and bring their unique and incredible stories to their podcast listeners. Welcome to the podcast, Mary and Ashley. Thank you so much for having us. Well, I'm so glad you are here. And I thought it'd be fun for listeners to know a little bit about how we came to know one another. And I'll let one you guys share. <laughs> sure. Um, this is Mary. And um, we had the opportunity of meeting while doing a musical together. So I think one awesome aspect of, of our friendship with you is that it came through one of our, you know, our hobbies and our passions and things that we love to do. So it's just an incredible experience to connect with someone through something that you love, you know, and you have this mutual love of doing and that's theater for both of us. And just super grateful that that developed into a friendship and many group texts and <laughs> <laughs> And it's, I think for people who have never participated in theater before, they may not realize like what a family you create during the course of putting on a show and mm -hmm. all that time together backstage and all the chit chat in the dressing room and rehearsals. And you start off with a large group of mostly strangers. And then you end up this family that feels like, oh my gosh, how can the show be coming to an end? But then the beauty is you end up oftentimes with, you know, friendships that extend beyond just that show. Mm -hmm. And hopefully someday we get to do theater again oh, together. Seriously, post all this pandemic nonsense. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so hard for all of us that really enjoy the performing arts. Mm -hmm. um, well, 
the reason why I thought of you both to come on the show and talk about the topic of co-parenting actually had to do with a conversation that we had in the dressing room one day when I, you know, we were just talking about our lives and our families and our kids. And you were talking about, you know, co-parenting and mm -hmm. how it is so incredibly hard, but that you have found a way to make it at least look easy. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's of such high value <laughs> because it is so hard you know, co-parenting and a family, you know, breaking up or, you know, splitting, or uh, maybe, maybe a couple's never together and they just share custody of children. It's complicated. And it's not something that people often prepare for or think about ahead of time. And all of a sudden you find yourself there and now what do I do? And how do I learn? And I thought, gosh, you guys would be the perfect people to bring on this podcast episode to share what you've learned in your journey and what you're still learning in your journey in co-parenting. So just jumping right off, what would you say are some of the common challenges that come up with co-parenting? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate everything you just said, especially we have like a motto between our, we call ourselves the parenting committee. There's Ash and I, and then the, our boys have their father and he's been remarried. So they have four full-time parents and we all work together as the parenting committee. And um, our motto is we work hard to make it look easy. And I think that really truly comes from so many of our friends and family members who've been a part of this journey that's been going on for seven years have commented on on how much they respect how we handle things and how we all um, look like we get along really well and and we all you know just obviously support our children and so uh, that's all on purpose mm -hmm. very much so and doesn't come easily so I really would say you know if I'm diving right into like what the challenges are as a mother when you're giving birth to your children or you are adopting your children, however, by what miracle you have, you know, become a mother, you never think you're not going to see them every single day. Nobody starts their journey thinking, thinking oh gosh, a few years from now, I'll probably only see them half the time. Yeah. So I would say for me, that by far was the most challenging is once I realized that we were separating and that we were going to be splitting custody. And, you know, again, that was seven years now. It doesn't get easier. I, unfortunately, I wish I could say, you know, don't worry in a few years, it'll be easy to watch them walk away every week. <laughs> and it, it isn't, it isn't, it, it doesn't get easier, but hopefully you can find some peace during the process that you, you know, that brings you to a place where you know you've done the best you can as a parent and as a co-parent and, and making the best environment possible. Challenges are really, I think what you'd expect are, you know, communication between four adults over the two most important people in their life is really challenging. You know, having mutual respect for one another all the time is really challenging. It's you know, darn near impossible. Because <laughs> as much as, as me and their dad chose to be married, we were married for 10 years. Ash did not choose to spend her life with him or his wife, respectively, with us. Um, so really being conscious and always trying to respect one another is also, you know, something we spend a lot of effort and thought and time 
doing so. Wow. That's really, um, I think it's helpful to hear that perspective. And, you know, it's so heartbreaking. I, I'm still married, but I have so many friends who have gone through separations and divorce. And I hear a lot about just that constant heartache, you know, when they can't be with their kids and, and then also just navigating the complexity that comes. It's simpler when they're two parents involved, but that's just not reality. That's just not how it always turns out for every family. And so, gosh, those challenges um, sound challenging. (laughs) And I'm so grateful that you're willing to share with us your insights and also a bit of a kind of just like reality check in terms of, yeah, it's not going to get easier, but you might find some peace. And I think that can be helpful in terms of that. And, you know, people are really struggling with that just constant nagging grief of not always being with their kids, um, working towards, you know, making peace with, with that reality. And then also same thing, we've got to find a way to all get along because, that's what's best for our kids, even if it's not always easy or what we want to do. We want to yell, scream, and tell someone exactly what we think about them in that moment. But nope, we're going to choose to do different ways. <laughs> I think that's so commendable that you have made that choice and that you're living that. We're all human. I'm sure there have been moments that you're like, hmm, didn't execute perfectly that time, but <laughs> that's why. Absolutely. I think uh, you use the word grief, and uh, and that really is truly a large piece of a breakup of a divorce of you know losing if you don't have 100 percent custody of your children anymore there is an enormous amount of grief that goes along with that process and it's really good to be aware of it i think so much of the time especially in the beginning there's so much happening and there's the emotions are running so high and and you can only see just as far as in front of your face about what's going on in the situation when this is really a marathon, you know, it's mm-hmm. decisions and, and choices that you make early on do impact things that go on, you know, later in this, in this dynamic of co-parenting. And then this co-parenting is going to go on forever you know, that's the reality. Even when they are going off to college, you know, it's going to go, we're all connected eternally, as long as our children are a part of, you know, of the equation. So although um, my parents are still together, my husband's parents um, were not, they divorced when he was young. And when I came into the picture and would interact with his family, I just, I was like, gosh, you know, and would your idea of what a divorced family might be like and a lot of fighting and contention and how I'm like, they were always all together, you know, both my mother-in-law had remarried and my father-in-law had not, but, oh, they were always together for family occasions and events and holidays. And sometimes my father-in-law would even like stay over, you know, in the guest room at my mother-in-law and her husband's house. I mean, like, wow, you know, gosh, but it took a while to get there. You know, I came to learn, but they got to that place and Mm -hmm. how wonderful that the kids can still have all their parents and and some bonus parents, uh, which is, you know, just more people to love them. So talking about custody, I know there can be a lot of different arrangements for different families and depending upon the ages and stages of kids and and everything. But for you guys, what does split custody look like? Sure. So that's one thing I did want to say is, is every story is different. Every dynamic is different. And so I can, I can speak to, um, we 
have been 50-50 custody from the moment that we knew we were, you know, splitting. So I can speak to what that has looked like for us. I also had never had to fight for custody or have any kind of like custody battle in my court. So I just, for us, we knew from the get-go that we were agreeing to 50-50. So logistically, from the beginning, the kids were small. They were two and five, respectively, when this started. And so we knew we weren't going to go long spans of time between houses. It was too much to go week to week. And we have still yet to switch to that kind of setup. So if you're kind of in the midst of this process, you actually can go Google like parenting plans and you can see a number of different calendar options that have worked for other people um, that the courts have agreed to. And that's what helped us. That's honestly how we found the parenting plan that we came to agree upon. It's called 3443, which means that there was one for three days, then four days of the next game. 40s back with the other 50s. Sounds complicated, but it becomes super normal. And that's what has worked for us, you know, throughout the course of the last seven years. Um, we also have 50-50 when it comes to every single holiday and school break. What we decided on in our parenting plan when we had, you have to propose your parenting plan to the court when you're getting divorced and, you know, saying that you've made this agreement. And so what we decided was we would rotate every single year. So Christmas Eve is at my house one year, Christmas Eve is at his house the next year, and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. I mean, literally every single holiday is a part of this rotation. And that um, school breaks as well. So we get, if we have all of spring break this year, we'll have a week for February break next year. So we're, we're really clear about what belongs to who, and very, very consistent. So we try to plan at least a few months in advance when we know there's going to be a change. So if the 3433 is going to be interrupted by spring break, we'll all have a conversation about what days spring break is going to look like, and we'll have these, you know, 10 straight days before we cycle back into our 3433. Thankfully, we also, from the beginning, were in full agreement about our financial obligations. So we also split everything financially 50-50. And we've never had to have any kind of like intervention or, you know, like court mandate of anything because we've always really been on the same page about those responsibilities, which is, I mean, I'm so grateful for. So grateful for. There's enough complicated things out there. I'm so glad we don't fight about money. And then lastly, like I said, we like, we refer to ourselves as the parenting committee. So like, if you're the new third grade teacher. All four of us are going to be there on parent teacher night. We're like, welcome to the parenting committee. And you'll have all four of us to talk to. So, I mean, there truly is a sense of like equal, like established parenting between everybody, everyone that they meet, like anyone who's coming into our circle as a doctor or a teacher or, you know, anyone, even friends, you know, if, if our children have friends, their parents become a part, you know, know that all the parents are involved as well. So again, I, I know there's so many variations to what an actual custody can look like. For us, I'm grateful this plan that works for us was not a result of something extremely tumultuous, like like a custody battle, but instead a mutual like agreement to what our parenting would look like. 
Do you have any, like if you, if anybody did want to propose a change to the current schedule or have you talked about that? Is that something oh, we revisit at a certain time every year or just if somebody wants to propose something, do you, have you talked through that scenario? Yeah. So as the kids get older, we have talked about what it could look like to be different. Cause right now the area is a lot of back and forth. Luckily we only live a mile apart. So there isn't like a huge commute for the kids. Everyone's still in the same school zone, you know, so it's not as complicated, but we have discussed one week on one week off as a group. We have discussed another alternative schedule, which is like, I think it's called two, five, two, two, five, five, two, two, five. <laughs> These all things become very normal when you're trying to come up with a custody. Yeah, I'm sure they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen that one, 5225. I'm like, wow. Totally, right? <laughs> if you just Google the 5225, a custody <laughs> come up. So we did, we did talk about things probably about a year or two ago. And in the end, not everybody was in agreement to making the change. And so we have continued to keep it as it was. And that was that was a tough conversation because, you know, in that particular instance, I felt like the 5225 was more cohesive and fair to the kids' activities. You know, like a lot of the time, the way this, the calendar fell, all the activities were on our days. For example, Saturdays. Saturdays was soccer games and dance practice and rehearsal. And so from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., they would be going nonstop and we'd be like ushering them around. And so that felt really unbalanced with the responsibilities that then, you know, at their dad's house on Sundays, they didn't have anything on Sundays. So they would get a whole, you know, weekend day free. So that was where I came from in the, in the adjustment was just kind of wanting to balance out like weekends and responsibilities a little bit more. And at the time, you know, they, they didn't agree um, and weren't up for a change. And so, you know, I, that's, that's a battle I didn't win. (laughs) You know, that just kind of, that's what happens. So I I do think it will change. I, because, especially because the boys are getting older, I, I think we're kind of, we're really moving closer to not needing them to go back and forth quite so much. Okay. And even they've expressed interest in not going back and forth quite so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a great point to bring in there is that now that the boys are older, they can start kind of, like when they're two and five, it's like, no, you're making all the calls, you know? But then they get right. older and they can weigh in and go like, gosh, you know, I'm finding this challenging or maybe like, maybe we maybe it would be easier if we did the, you know, the week on week off, or they start to be able to verbalize based on their experience. And then you guys can kind of address it and they become even more of representatives on your, you know, team of, you know, decisions (laughs) around things like this. Certainly. And like when we have our breaks, like that's obviously like our favorite time. So in the summers we get like 10 straight days with them or for spring break, we'll get 11, 10 straight days with them. And I think those are the times when they realize how like settled and how much they love being in one place. And that goes both ways. They love being with us for the 10 days. They love being like, thankfully, they love being at both households Mm -hmm. equally. So I think they start to realize like, that it feels good to kind of settle into their space for longer than three or four days at a time. 
Mm-hmm. It makes sense because transitions of any kind, of course, are really challenging for kids. And depending upon kids and their temperament, they can be really challenging for certain kids. And it's an adjustment every time they're going to be, you know, reentering, you know, leaving one household, entering the others and, you know, seeing them more often has real benefits. And mm-hmm. then getting into a, a place where they can kind of find rest and kind of get into a routine at the household they're at, that has real benefits too. So I could see that the complications that can come when you're kind of really looking at what custody plan makes sense, best sense, what's going to give more advantages than disadvantages, and that that could be something that has that gets revisited again and again and again. And, you know, it's, it's something that just has to keep getting revisited. But again, how great that you already have a framework in terms of everybody being able to talk and uh, communicate and, you know, propose things. And then like, okay, didn't work out this time, but we'll revisit again in a period of time. And again, as the boys are getting older and they're able to start voicing their opinions and what they might prefer, there's some other, the other people that can kind of sway things one direction or the other based on what you guys are considering. So I wanted to shift and talk a little bit specifically about Ashley and your role and how you see it being a stepmom to your boys and any surprises that you have kind of experienced or were sharing along the way with your unique journey. Yeah. Well, first off, stepmom is almost a bad word in our family. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's really funny, actually. Um, I think I had just introduced myself to maybe a teacher or a a friend's parent as Calvin's stepmom. And I got, you know, eye daggers at me. Mm -hmm. And he made a comment like, you're you're not my stepmom, you're just my other mom, you know, so those types of moments are really cool. But it's something that both of the boys really don't refer to me as their stepmom. I'm just the other mom which is funny to me because it's like, to me, it's just a title, but to them, it means so much more. Pretty awesome. That's really (laughs) awesome. (laughs) It is. Try not to be emotional about it. (laughs) It is emotional Um, because yeah, yeah. You're talking about, I mean, what, what that obviously means to them is, you know, stepmom is something less than a full mom and that's not how they see you. And that's, that's really beautiful. It is. It really is. I feel very lucky. We've been doing it for seven years at this point, you know, just about seven years. But initially, the biggest surprise for me was how easily it was to transition into the parent role with them. Because we, Mary and I had been friends for years before we ever started a relationship. So I knew both of the boys. You know, I wasn't just coming into the equation as Mary's girlfriend type of situation. So it was I was already involved in their lives, just a little differently. So then when Mary and I moved in together and kind of started parenting together, it was, it seemed very easy to me, which was, it was shocking, (laughs) really, because there was, there wasn't really any hardship about it. Mary's done a wonderful job as the mom treating me equally from day one. Like I was never a stepmom as far as like a less than, you know what I mean? She did a great job in, in treating me that way in our decisions that we made together for the kids, for ourselves and discussing things when, you know, their dad was involved in decisions that needed to be made. 
I think that was just huge. And the boys really saw that and kind of, you know, there, it was almost seamless. They really saw that there wasn't going to be different levels of parents. Nobody's more important than the other person, which is, I think, unusual and incredible. It really is. And I'm like, as I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about, you know, my work, I'm really helping make sense and helping relationships grow and evolve be primarily between parents and their children. But in listening to basically kind of the evolution of your relationship, Ashley, to your boys in terms of initially just a friend, you know, you're, you're just a friend. The boys had some familiarity with you, but then your role kept on changing. And as it was changing the depth and of the relationship and also its importance clearly kept on evolving and changing as you kind of grew closer to the boys and then became part of their everyday life. And then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, transitioned in this role officially as mother, it took this really interesting kind of like slow kind of progression that just I'm sure from their perspective seemed very natural. I think so. Mm-hmm. I, and really I think do. probably a lot of that probably like is, you know, kudos to Mary. <laughs> Clearly. Oh, absolutely. 100%. In, in terms, because that's tough. You know, that's really tough. I can imagine you've been parenting with one other parent. Now there's a third and, you know, it happens to also be my significant other. So that, I guess, makes it less weird. But at the same time, I could see how, you know, really saying like, hey, I I want you to weigh in on this or I really value your opinion and you have an equal voice here as opposed to like my kid, you know, hands off, you know, Mm -hmm. you really lay the groundwork for her. I'm sure for Ashley to feel like, you know, no, that this is my role too. I share in this. And that's, that's really incredible in terms of, you know, there's so much to like kind of tackle in this conversation. It's so complex and there's so many moving pieces, but in terms of, you know, oftentimes when parents do um, split up if they've been, you know, married or together in some way, oftentimes there is, you know, other relationships. And then like, how do you navigate those? And, you know, mm-hmm. hearing your story in terms of like how that evolved and how the boys were so accepting and to the point where they're like, that is not my stepmom. You know, that is my other mom. You know, they feel offended by the idea that you'd be anything less than another mm-hmm. full parent is, is just really incredible in terms of what that is as an example for others who might be experiencing this or like this might be something down the road that they have to consider as well. Mm-hmm. I think um, the transition was for me as the, you know, main mom mm-hmm. <laughs> was, you know, I, I trusted Ash implicitly with them and they already trusted her. She wasn't, you know, an, a stranger, you know, kind of entering the mix. So that obviously made it easier yeah, but it didn't feel forced. No, no. It wasn't like, now you need to love her. You know what right. I mean? They just, they now already, she's your mom. They already did. And and for me, our partnership as a couple is incredible. I mean, it's so important. And that's what was my priority. And so it didn't, it didn't phase me. I wasn't making a conscious decision like, now I'm going to let you equally parent with me. It was like, if we're doing this. We're doing it together. And welcome. You are hundred percent. Yeah. Pretty much. Like yeah. it, it was the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mostly good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but let's but one, one of the things, you know, <laughs> that is challenging is now for the eternity of our relationship, she is Ash's kind of subjected to 
my constantly having to communicate with my ex-husband. I mean, that there is a third party mm-hmm. involved in our marriage, you know, indefinitely. You know, that's a, a dynamic that is just another piece to, to navigate, you know, with your children. It's hard enough to make decisions as parents. You know, it's parenting is already like, you're always trying to do your best and then kind of add in co-parenting and, and you know, new schedules and, and sharing time and everything else. And it's it's challenging. But I think it also made us all stronger as a, as a family to have to go through all of that. Absolutely. So now, Mary, in terms of like navigating all these transitions for your children over, again, it was seven years ago that the big change happened mm-hmm. for your children. But again, like things have continued to grow and change and, you know, Ashley joining the family and then you being married and then their dad also eventually getting remarried. So there's been a lot of transitions that you have had to, and I'm sure as a couple, but I'm just putting you on the spot right now, Mary, in terms of you (laughs) navigating these different transitions for your children. How have you done that? Honestly, you have to keep the kids at the pinnacle of the decision-making and they're the true north. I don't know if that sounds cliche or not, but if, if, if you keep them at the center of all the decisions being made, then the best decisions will be made and and the best results will come out of it because what they do have is for parents who love them. So it has never been up to me of who they can spend time with and who gets to love them when. For me, it wasn't, yes, I would love to be with them 100% of the time, but if I was to take them 100% of the time, I would be neglecting them and keeping them from a father and now other stepmother who love them and want to be with them. So I, you can't make the decisions about co-parenting about you. They cannot be about you as the parent. They have to be about what is the best part. You know, what is the best thing for the children is the best thing for me not seeing them on Christmas morning. Certainly not is the best thing for them that they have a dad who's so freaking psyched that he would never give up Christmas morning for them. I mean, like you can't ask for anything more than that. So many people want to love them so hard. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking and challenging, but I would say what keeps everybody focused is when we bring it back to what is the best thing for the kids. Cause we might not agree even on like what activities we're going to focus on, or we might not agree of how we're going to spend, you know, plan a birthday party. So what do we do? We bring it back to what is the thing that Calvin wants the most? What is the thing that is going to be the best thing for Sawyer's schedule? So I would say that's what just keeps me grounded throughout all the changes, because I, I, what I don't want this conversation to sound like is we've done it right for seven years and so should you. It has been ups and downs. And when I like some lows, I mean, especially there's heartbreak involved. There's, you know, so many people's feelings involved. So I would say we're at a place in seven years where things are more stable. There aren't as many ups and downs because we've got some great systems in place and we've got, you know, older kiddos, which are easier to navigate as well. But throughout the hardest parts or throughout when there are times when me and their dad were not seeing eye to eye or battling over how we should make a decision. 
both of us consistently come back to, okay, what is the best thing for the kids? I would say something their dad has said from the beginning that I have made another one of our like kind of family mantras is you have got to give the other set of parents the benefit of the doubt. That when something might, because our kids are an open book, so they'll walk in the door and be like, oh, we did this at dad's house, or we're going to make this, you know, that might seem crazy to me. I have to take a minute and not think they were making a malicious decision or they were making a bad parenting decision. I, I have to go into it like, that was what they decided to do at their house. It wasn't from a bad place. Everyone's doing the best they can, you know? And so I think that really helps, especially when emotions are running high or we might not be seeing eye to eye or could be like about, you know, something taking that and being like, it's not about me. Everyone's doing the best that they can. That's really helpful in terms of that perspective. I think parenting in general, you know, shows us where we need to do our own maturing as grownups, right? <laughs> and sometimes mm -hmm, we're surprised much. by areas where we're like, huh, I, I really easily get frustrated or my buttons pushed when this thing happens. And I could see how that, you know, you, it might feel really real in the moment. You might feel really like, ah, oh, I just want to fly off the handle, or I just want to, you know, take out all my frustrations and just put it on this other person. And, and just really like, you can go down some rabbit holes that are just ultimately not helpful for anybody, least of all the kids. And so continuing to stay really, really focused on what's the best decision for the children, just laser focused and not fooling yourself into thinking that really is best for the kids when it's really best for you. And, you know, um, I absolutely can see that. Yeah, it is. And I mean, everyone gets petty. Everyone gets competitive everyone you know especially when you for example you know someone wants to go to Disneyland first you know you don't want to miss as the one missing out you don't want to miss out on that moment you don't want to you know miss something exciting or fun because the other side is is the one that gets to do it and then that totally goes both ways where we get these like magical moments with the kids that the other person doesn't get to see and so like kind of continually going back to but what was the best thing for the kids like what is their takeaway from that moment going to be you know mm -hmm. I mean it it is certainly challenging but I think all of us have very good intentions and I can't as someone, me personally, who, who did not have a father that was very interested in anything I was ever doing, you know what I mean? He, was, he wasn't around very much. How could I, in good conscience, because I want to be the one who's with them, take away a father who wants to, to have all of this time with them? It's again, looking at through the perspective of how lucky are these boys to have four parents that just want to be with them all the time and love on them and spoil them and, you know, take them on these, you know, great adventures and things like how lucky are they to have that? So kind of putting that spin on that, which is so healthy in terms of mm -hmm. looking at, you know, okay, I might be really bummed that I don't get to do this to the boys or that they did this first or they made this decision. But at the same time, like, how lucky are my boys? And, and just remembering that 
Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. So you've touched a lot on, you know, you've got these four parents and you have this kind of team mindset. What are your tricks for effective communication? Because I'm sure that's one of the biggest things that you've had to kind of work out over the last seven years of doing this. Yeah. So what wasn't working was when me and their dad would go head to head on our own. Emotions run higher that the leaning into the fighting <laughs> is a lot easier when there's just two people whose heads are hot. So um, something we tried a few years ago was we converted all of our communication to group texts and group emails. And if there was a phone call, it would be a group phone call where the other spouses have, are involved. And it's not to say that all four people chime in on everything we talk about, but having a group conversation lends itself to keeping emotions in check, to accountability on how you're communicating, because everyone can see how you're communicating. Involving the step parents made it so the primary parents don't have to go back and explain the decisions that were made or why they were made. They're just there to witness it or chime in if, if they, you know, they're always welcome to every one of the four parents is welcome to, you know, communicate whatever, but just having that equal playing field of everyone within the conversation really simmered down the emotions. It really took the emotions out of it. It was, it's more like fact-based and coordination-based and sharing information that, you know, we're good or, or, you know, or troubling or whatever that's going on with the kids. Or if, if someone is, you know, needs to go to the doctor, we're all on the same page about it. So I understand that that might not be the best or healthiest dynamic for everybody. But for us, I would say it, it was a huge game changer and how we could successfully communicate as, as a whole. Mm -hmm. And it, it took a while to get there. Mm -hmm. It was not easy at first. From where we were to now is totally different. Much more help, much more consistent in communication styles. And really, it's like you were saying, almost like a, a business transaction. <laughs> Keeping the motions <laughs> out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and we could, we can still, I mean, we can still share a great photo or great video of the kids or something that happened in the group setting. Or we can say, oh, well, hey, by the way, I just got this medical bill that's $400. Like, what's our game plan for paying this off together? You know, it's like with everybody on board and all of us being mature adults who know what has to be managed for two kids to have a successful life, I think it just, it really makes it so... There, nothing can be lost in translation and no one's feelings are hurt and people don't feel left out. For me and Ashley's dynamic, I don't have to be like, okay, here's the things we talked about while you weren't there. You know, like it just kind of took away. It really just, it, it was a great transition for us to move into this. And now it's our regular standard. We just have our group, group conversations. That's really smart. 
all the reasons that you mentioned. It makes sense. And it, I always try and draw parallels. And I think about, you know, sometimes parents sit there by themselves with a kid that, you know, maybe a little bit less likely to kind of stay calm, cool, and collected when dealing with challenges with kids. And then when they're out in public and, you know, there's all these other, you know, parents and kids looking on and suddenly parents find themselves like, oh, there's, there's observers here and I'm going to take the moment to calm myself and really like, you know, not fly off the handle with emotions with my kids in terms of communicating with them. So I could see how the idea of just having other people there, whether they're participating in the conversation or not, it just set one extra little piece to kind of help temper emotions and have everybody stay calm, cool, collected. And then all the other reasons you mentioned, streamline me, like this, you don't have to catch them up. Everybody's, everybody knows what's going on. And that can be so helpful for so many different reasons. So this, again, you guys have some experience. You've gotten to this place because you've worked through some things that have not worked for you and you've learned and you've grown along the way. So if you were to kind of be a little bug in your own ear seven years ago and, you know, could pass on some advice that you just, you wish you'd heard that you could now pass on to newly split parents, what would that be? I made notes about this one and I'm going to stick to them specifically. So, so much. It's like, I, I wish I could help friends navigate. The first year is as hard as it gets. It doesn't matter the circumstances. An expected breakup, an unexpected breakup, divorce, children otherwise. It's know that I know how hard that first year is no matter what. I had a relatively healthy and safe breakup. I was not in a terrible situation where I, I had to get out. So I can speak to what I was able to do in order to make the transitions a little easier. One is, and this goes from day one until ever, is you cannot talk about the other parent in any negative way to your children. That is easier said than done sometimes. Especially so. as they get older. It's easy, you're not gonna say anything when they're little, but you will have opinions about how the other person parents and the decisions mm -hmm. they make in their house. And your kids will will openly speak to you about you know, what, what goes on in the other household. And do you have like a catchphrase you say if something's shared that you would maybe express an opinion on that you're keeping? Like, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah, I have honestly a great example that we've really dealt with recently is the kinds of programming they're allowed to watch at their dad's house versus what we watch here. And for example, at their dad's house, they do watch any and all kind of superhero movie. So there's certainly plenty of like, you know, violence and language and things. I personally am just not interested in superhero movies. So it's not something we'd watch here. But here, we just, you know, we watched all of Glee, which has a lot of older adult themes, but can, you know, bring on great conversations with your kids as they're reaching puberty. Um, and we just started watching Shit's Creek together. And it sounded like at their dad's house, they're not allowed to watch Shit's Creek because of the language. And so our kids were like, well, we're not allowed to watch that there. And I was like, but you're allowed to watch crazy, violent, you know, superhero movies that I, I don't think are appropriate. So we're all going to have, as you know, I say it in just a kind of a fairly matter of fact way. It's like, we're all going to have different opinions on what's appropriate. And I feel as your mom, this is appropriate here. And I love having those conversations with you. So we're going to watch Glee and Shit's Creek together. 
if it's something I highly disagree, I, I just zip it. <laughs> I just don't say anything. If it's something I feel like I really need to approach their dad about, like I will do that on that side, but yeah, um, like nothing in the moment. And then like, take it to the group text, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. 100%. And you yeah. need to kind of also know what am I willing to go into right now? <laughs> Get into that group text. But truly, I mean, just like to know that if you talk, if you slip up and you talk badly about the other parent, even in passing, even in something that doesn't seem like a big deal, you're not putting a divide between your child and that other parent. You're putting the divide between yourself and that child because your child respects everyone equally. Your child loves everyone. So if you say anything poorly about their dad, they're going to go to the defense of their dad as they should, because they love him. And then you're putting a divide between you and your kid. So in the instances that we have had moments, all of us, it's happened in both households where someone has said something that they shouldn't have said. We've learned very quickly how hard that is on our kids. They, it's too hard and it's too big of a burden for them to bear your feelings. That's really helpful, really helpful perspective. Yeah, and I can see how that could be one of one of the greatest challenges, particularly in a new situation in terms of co-parenting. And again, like you said, when those emotions are super high, I could see how easily that could happen and being able to observe the effect that has on kids in this, oh, that's not working anymore. And then, you know, if, if there is an incident where that happens again in the future, just acknowledging and you know, probably taking responsibility and owning it. And I shouldn't have said that it was wrong, uh, you know, and make that repair work. Yeah, exactly. And we've, we've all done that. We've all had to have that difficult conversation where we are apologizing for saying something we shouldn't have about the other parent. All of us, all four of us have had that moment of, you know what? That's probably something I shouldn't have said. And I didn't mean to, you know, say something negative about whomever right because you know calvin is is 12 so he's and he's a an emotionally mature 12 he sees and feels everything whether it's a tone or the full statement or just even a glance after something's been said oh this is what we did at dad's and we give the side eyes you know, one of these, <laughs> like this, the, the plants. he's like, Oh, is, should we not have done that? You know, so we have to be acutely aware of our own reactions in front of them. It's interesting. And it takes practice mm-hmm. and, and setting yeah. that intention and living by it. And yeah, it's great when you take responsibility for when you have slipped up, but better to not have slipped up in the first place. And right. the, the more you practice that and live by that, probably the less slip ups you'll have. And when they do happen, you just, you know, move it on, own it. And then, um, you know, it just kind of, I think that's a check-in with yourself, right? Because that's really mm-hmm. on the parents. And whenever we make mistakes as parents, we all do it every single day, multiple times a day at times. But mm-hmm. you know, those, those are the things that are part of the growing piece for, for parents to acknowledge. And that's, that's super helpful. I would say um, just my other advice for people who are newly split are to, you know, Lawyers and court and custody, it's a reality. And I think when you first split up, you think, 
if things are going well, well, we don't really have to put that in writing. We don't really have to document that. I trust that it's going to, the other person will always do the right thing. And that's a wonderful way to feel. In my experience, the reality is time changes things and changes dynamics. And even with the best of intentions, you know, someone may take advantage of it or not remember things you agreed upon when you first put together this court approved parenting plan. So, cause in Washington state, you have to have a documented in detail parenting plan that the judge then has to approve. So know that your parenting plan that you're putting together, even if you feel like it's just for the sake of the judge right now is real and you will go back and lean on it. There was a time when we were doing, because we do our three, four, four, three, that it felt like that's how every, all time should be. Breaks, summer, holidays. And I got to a point where I was like, I'm never going to see my kids for more than four days at a time. Like, I'm never going to be able to book a, a week-long vacation. Like, I was kind of losing it. Like, I can't do anything for more than four days at a time. And I realized that in the parenting plan, when I look back at it, said we get all of a spring break or we get a whole week in the summer. And honestly, it took that document to just be like, hey, this is what we originally agreed on. I know it's been a while. So, you know, we, ha we have to be able to have our kids for more than four days at a time. And, you know, it never got more heated than that. It, you know, that's just then we were like, okay, that's what our plan is. And so I was able to make that adjustment to our, our weekly schedule to have more time with them. And it's been nothing but positive to us to be able to have those extended periods of time. So I would just say anyone who's starting out on this journey and trying to figure out what that is, know that it does matter what you're putting in that plan and that you will want to be able to lean on it. Again, it could be years later, but you're going to want to have that to lean on as your like home base foundation. Yeah. Your foundation of what you've really agreed upon. That's great. That's, that's helpful. Cause you're right. Things can change. Things might be starting off super amicable, but then something comes up and just great. Let's make that plan when things are going really well. <laughs> and then it won't maybe lead to something that could be really difficult or dragged out in, in the court. So lots of battling. So that's great advice. So you've shared so many incredible insights and tips and lessons learned. What is the number one, the number one most effective approach or trick or tip or insight or perspective that you have found on this journey? <laughs> I feel like after everything we said, this is going to sound silly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but it's true. But the number one most effective tool that we have used that works is a group Google Calendar. We have a calendar that all four parents can see, all four parents can edit, and every single thing down to the minute is put on that calendar. So Every, I mean, even though we have our regular schedule that they come home, you know, they go back to their dads on Saturday night and they come back to us on either Tuesday or Wednesday, like every single thing is scheduled, every drop-off time, every pickup time, every doctor's appointment, every school function, every pickup of books, everything is on the, on the calendar. And what that does is gives everyone accountability that everyone can see when everything is supposed to be happening. 
it also makes it so when we see spring break is three months away and we know we get this year's spring break, we can all go on our group email and say, hey, we're planning on going to Hawaii this year. We'd love to take them from this date to this date. Does that work for you guys? We go back and forth on what works for everybody. It goes on the calendar. So, you know, it's just this like home base that no matter what, everybody knows what the plan is. And honestly, the times that things don't work are when someone didn't look at the calendar. Mm -hmm. And that literally just happened. It just happened at the end of, of Christmas break is somebody didn't look at the calendar and didn't realize the drop-off time was at noon and they thought they were coming home at 10, you know, and it caused a little bit of chaos that morning. But honestly, that tool has kept our, our whole dynamic together, truly. And the, um, the other thing I will add that has been really critical, and I would say, again, the best thing for the kids is that anything that is a public activity, like practice or dance class or school function, a school dance, games, that anything on the calendar that's like that, everybody's allowed to go to. It doesn't matter if it's on your day. It doesn't matter at all. Like if you want to show up to baseball practice four times a week, go for it. If you can sit outside dance class because you have a free 30 minutes, great, show up. It doesn't matter whose day it is or who, you know, whose house they're at. Both of the grandmothers on both sides of the family are also super involved. Same thing. Grandma wants to show up to watch something or be somewhere and it happens to be dad's day. If it's a public event, everyone's invited. Those two things I think have made our whole process work for everybody, be really clear for everybody, and no one's feelings get bent out of shape because someone shows up to something on their day. So that kind of open time really has been a huge positive for our dynamic as well. And really for the kids too, because they know just because my game is on Saturday doesn't mean only mom and Ash are coming. You know, they know, oh, I'm not at, at mom's house on Mondays, but that's when, when I have hip hop class. Well, we're, we can show up. If you want us to be there, we'll, we'll come sit. They just Absolutely. have so much more support because people can be at the stuff that's important to them. Because it's, it's so important for them to look up and see everybody that loves them is there to support them also, I mean, no matter what. At one point during A Christmas Story, which is the show we were in together, you had me in the show, Calvin in the show, my mom doing the costume. So she was there like fixing something. Their dad was there to be the kid wrangler, the kid wrangler for the night. Ash was working <laughs> on, you on know, the in the wings. And there was people in the audience, like, these children do not feel as though they're not loved. <laughs> they're, not only do they not feel like they're not loved, but they also don't feel like they have to make choices or that they that they're going to be disloyal to one parent over the other, and that you're just make you're just releasing that burden from them. They just know that everybody wants to be there and everybody's there for them, and it's not about my day, your day, all that kind of contention that can come in these, these dynamics at times. And I think that's so helpful. And also in terms of your like 
use a Google Calendar for all. You know, you've talked a lot about, you know, running this like a business, you know, agreement. And that's, you know, that's kind of like one of those basic things you do in a business is we got a calendar and everybody kind of lives by that calendar and puts the stuff on the calendar and is mm -hmm. held accountable by it. So that's that's great. And and I also was thinking about, you know, potentially in the future, if you do move to a week on, week off situation, you still doesn't mean you can't see um, and um, be part of your boys' lives. If it's um, not your week on, oh, there's still those activities, there's still the school events, there's still lots of opportunities that you could still be in their life on the weeks that they're not in your custody, which is and also just such a wonderful way of kind of processing again, like how we started in terms of that grief of knowing that you're not like one of the hardest things that you never get used to is the fact you're not going to necessarily always have your boys with you every single day. And that that's a really wonderful way of finding, you know, a way in which you can be with them more often on your non-custody days on both sides with both sets of parents. So that's great. I always love um, when I wrap up a podcast episode and I have guests, I always love to kind of just, just put you on the spot and ask what <laughs> is a way that you find connection within your family? So what's it for you guys? How do you find connection with your boys? Um, it's pretty old fashioned. It is. But we always have dinner together. Always. I mean, even when things are absolutely bananas and everyone is going in 10 directions, we thus far we have managed to make dinner happen every single night it's not always at the same time but we're always together yeah and and that really brings like that consistency the expectation the ability to have an uninterrupted conversation to be able to check in about how school really is or how how it was at dad's last week or what did you guys do there it's like we get the opportunity to really hear from them. And, you know, I could easily say we also love like going on vacation and all that stuff. But to, I mean, your everyday life, our connection truly comes at the dinner table. It's kind of like the core of our family. It is. It is the core of our family. Which is interesting because I don't think that I had thought about it that way until yeah. we started talking about it. Yeah. But yeah, it's that we connect. And it's not always a deep conversation, of course, you know, they're, they are eight and 12. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it is about Spider-Man, Yeah, but that's what's on their mind and that's what's important and that's what they want to share. And you kind of, as much as you want to, you know, stab your eyeballs out if you want. <laughs> you hear about Roblox one more time. Right. But Roblox now leads to my friends are doing this crazy stuff later, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what always worked with my mom. I, my mom never, my mom, the, the door was always open for conversation and I still have those conversations with her to this day and I just wanted to create that same open environment for them. So that dinner table is like critical, I think, to the success of our of our communication as a family. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the other thing that is really like important time for us is we're really re like consistent with our nighttime routine to this day. Mm -hmm. Like It started when... They're babies. When they're it starts, babies yeah. You know, like when is bath time and when do you get your PJs on? It's still like, hey, go hop in the shower and, and grab your book and mom will lay with you for 10 minutes while you read to her. And, you know, like we're really consistent with what nighttime looks like. And I think mm -hmm. that just brings like a really healthy, like 
calm to our household. It rarely feels super chaotic because I think everyone is just so used to like sticking with kind of that daily routine. Yeah, it's a routine and it's it's a ritual. And it's mm-hmm. you know, those are things that connect us to one another and our families and building in that time, make it part of your family's structure. And then, you know, it's just what you do. And then mm-hmm. you, of course, in your perspective, look at it and realize like, wow, that's a time we really come together and can connect. And the boys right now, they're like, eh, whatever, eating food and talking about Roblox. But like when they're looking back on their childhoods and they're looking back on points when they really felt really connected with one another and each other, I guarantee that's going to be one of the things that they they think about and reflect on is, you know, both the daily dinner priority, but then also that the bedtime kind of little things that you keep vestiges of earlier childhood that kind of extend and extend and extend because you see their value as they're getting older, big kids, tweens. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because our big kid is you know, he's 12 and he's in middle school. And I keep saying it's kind of that feeling like you never know the last time you're, you know, when they're babies, you never know the last time you're going to rock them to sleep. You never know the last time you're going to, you know, nurse them. You never know the last time, you know, you're going to walk in the stroller with them. And it, I have that feeling with him right now is like any minute now is the last time he's going to want to cuddle before bed, you know, that he's going to want to read his book to me as I just like fall asleep because it's so relaxing, <laughs> you know, you may end up with like a cuddle bug. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's those transitions. It's, it's amazing as a parent, how, how they happen. You look back and go, wow, like now they're not babies and now they're not toddlers. And, and here we are, we're definitely right on the on brink, the, the brink <laughs> of, of the teenager. Hold on. I've got two teens in my household. It, it's awesome in its own way and it's got its new challenges. So mm-hmm. you, you both obviously are just awesome human beings and it's so fun to talk with. And I know that my listeners would love to probably find where they can listen to you guys on your podcast. So where can they find you? Yeah. So we are Anywhere you want to stream a podcast, we're available. Apple, Spotify, Google, Anchor, all the fun places. Um, And our podcast is called Your Friends, Ash and Mare. And you can follow us on Instagram. We would love that because we love interacting with our friends. And you can find us at yourfriendsashandmare.podcast. We'd love to have people join us. It's been a really fun bonding experience for us as a couple to do. Mm -hmm. And then just honestly, we laugh more than anything else during yeah. our time. So hopefully, you know, some of your listeners would love some some new friends to listen to and, and want to join us at your friends Ashley Mayor. I've listened to myself and I've laughed along with you both. And I love both of your laughs. So that for me, I'm like, oh, I miss those ladies. But at the same time, I think it's it's fun. You guys are real and you're talking about interesting things and bringing interesting people on your show. So definitely go have a listen. Thank you both so much for opening up today on you know really personal topic. I know it will be a big help to those out there who may be navigating the same bumpy road of co-parenting, um, or maybe they could pass it on to a friend of theirs that they think could benefit and, and learn from you both. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. This has been, um, it's been a great conversation because it's not something we necessarily really break down. It's just the life that we live. So um, I, I just love the ability to think that 
if, if any of this, if any piece, even just the Google calendar is like <laughs> the nugget you take away and makes this difficult journey a little bit easier. I'm, I'm happy we were able to kind of pull our thoughts together and, and help. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. So with that, I'll say goodbye to my listeners and I will hope that you tune in next time to the 3D Parent Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.